I V M. Chapter Three: All the World's a Stage. Culture is the lifeblood of successful endeavors. Everything you do and everywhere you go creates opportunities to communicate in impactful ways. Great communication becomes a part of a company's culture. The more deeply it's embedded, the larger the company grows. The larger the company grows, the deeper the culture. It's a positive, self-perpetuating cycle. The family's move from Grantro to Breechcandy was more or less permanent, at least geographically. Even when I married and moved out of my parents' home, for most of my adult life, I lived within two hundred meters of our first house there. Not long after landing in Breechcandy, at the age of sixteen, I took a liking to theatre, or should I say, theatre took a liking to me. My first role of many on stage was at Cathedral as the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz, but my most memorable was the lead in Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew. I was Petruchio, the scoundrel who falls in love with Kate, the female protagonist, and has a wonderful, instructive time trying to tame her. Even today, when dealing with a difficult person, I'll sometimes utter, "Let's go tame the shrew," and elicit a laugh. I started Laser Productions, a theater production company, as a hobby. It turned out to be profitable enough to fund all my dates, and gave me confidence at a young age. We did some magnificent theatre along the way and made lifelong friends. The productions that stand out for me today are Ayn Rand's Night of January Sixteenth, Mark Medoff's Children of a Lesser God, and the musical The Wiz. In fact, on the eve of the opening night of The Wiz, my daughter Trisha was born. I went back and forth between the hospital and the theatre for the first two days. For her whole first year, Trisha was nicknamed the Wiz Baby. Theatre taught me skills that proved to be especially useful later in television and other creative endeavors. But most of all, theatre strengthened my communicative muscles and gave me tons of self-confidence. Few things are as vital for an entrepreneur as confident communication and the ability to stay calm and collected in front of a crowd. As I reflect on the lessons I learned during those early days in theatre, Shakespeare's "As You Like It" echoes in my mind. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. These lines and the images they conjure perfectly capture the essence of entrepreneurship. In business, you'll go through many stages and play many roles, but notice that first line: "All the world's a stage." No matter what you do or where you go, you must create opportunities to communicate in impactful ways. Communication for entrepreneurs involves much more than elocution. Communication is a form of currency, and how you choose to use it—the speed at which you understand things, your clarity of thought, and your ability to deliver a strong message, so the audience has no doubt who is leading the show—can boost or burn your business. Communication cements a company's culture. That's why I harbor a burning and abiding disdain for mobile phones at meetings. No joke. Ask my team members. I actually have my executive assistant confiscate all phones at critical meetings. She walks into the room, announces that we offer a free full-service mobile valet, collects all phones, and assures everyone that their devices will be safely parked and protected before whisking the devilish devices away. It's a light-hearted approach to a serious matter.
Few things are ruder and, quite frankly, more arrogant than chatting on or tapping away at a phone and ignoring someone who takes time out of his day to sit with you one-on-one or in a group. The implicit message is that what you're doing is so vital and indispensable that an hour's absence or lack of input could bring doom and destruction to the organization. Get real. When arrogance and impoliteness creep into a company's culture, nine times out of ten, it's safe to assume that team members have picked up these bad habits from the boss. I know CEOs who think that if they call a subordinate at any time of the day, they should bloody well get an answer. I favor a far flatter culture. For example, if I call a team member at eight in the morning or in the middle of the day, my first question always is, uh, can you speak? Are you free? Good time? Communicating with courtesy liberates people. I also go out of my way to avoid making people feel like they've got to drop everything and interrupt what they're doing to meet me at a moment's notice. Instead, I try a simple, when you're free, let's meet. True team empowerment cannot happen unless we've established mutual respect. Attentive and courteous communication breeds a healthy corporate culture. 16,000. That's how many words the average human speaks a day. This means this week more words will flow out of your mouth than fill the book you're holding in your hands. Whether it's crafting a marketing or product pitch, presenting a five-year plan, sharing research and development findings, delivering a pitch for investor capital, or engaging in due diligence discussions about potential ventures. You're always auditioning. Every word counts. Every sentence makes a statement. Authenticity is at the heart of effective communication, though few entrepreneurs communicate as well as they should. One person who made a lasting impression on me in those early days was News Corp's Rupert Murdoch. After buying Star TV in the early 1990s, Murdoch visited India and came down to UTV. For him and Star, the two key markets were India and China. So Murdoch, through his visit to Mumbai and to UTV, planned to understand India, local content, and more. We had a frugal basement office, a small audiovisual room, and no meeting room. My office, no more than 80 square feet, doubled up as the meeting room when necessary. We were a tight-knit team, keeping things small and comfortable, with plenty of room for people to work without the ostentatious trappings. When you lead by example, you transform the culture of the entire office. A lively office culture doesn't always come from big spaces. In fact, the opposite is very often true. Offices of a certain size breed communication. The concept of the top floor corner office is archaic and reeks of an isolated top management team. Every day, I'd talk with every person in the office, in the pantry, in the hallway, while walking to the loo. That proximity didn't force us to communicate with one another. It presented us with opportunities for lively dialogue and the ready exchange of ideas. And because everyone in the office knew we were hosting an important meeting, every eye was on the staircase when Murdoch eased down the steps into the basement. Interestingly, and much to my relief, neither his body language nor his gestures betrayed the least surprise or disappointment. What the hell have I got myself into? I've never been in such a small office. And in a basement? Nothing like that at all. Instead, his reaction was completely normal. 
I think that's the first generation entrepreneur in him. He must have descended into quite a few basement newsrooms in Australia. Clearly, he hadn't forgotten the can-do culture of entrepreneurships. He was here to do business, and that's what we did. The meeting lasted two hours, including a 10-minute video on UTV titled The Whole is Bigger Than the Sum of Its Parts. No coffee or tea, just straight talk. Murdoch struck me as a direct and insightful communicator, speaking his mind with fierce honesty and thumping the table to drive a point home. You know, I'm here to make big bets. Thump. So let's talk about the big things Stark can do in India. Thump. But after he had said his piece and someone else started talking, he was in full listening mode. That ability to switch effortlessly back and forth from talking to listening reflected a high degree of genuine curiosity that struck a chord with all of us. In the past, I've found that Westerners often come to India with the assumption that the culture, mindsets and attitudes of their home country are universal. Then, they're surprised when confronted with acute cultural differences and the inevitable failure that comes from not understanding who consumes a product or offering. Murdoch valued words. He was a communicator who knew when to speak and when to listen, to make the most of his time and maximize his chances of success. Despite his gruff exterior, he had an innate ability to relate to others and the uncommon willingness, given his stature, to open himself up to people at a personal level. Disruptive ideas sometimes come from the most unlikely of places and people. You never know when you're going to discover an interesting product, a path-breaking concept, or even a brilliant error that could revolutionize an entire sector. Consider some examples from history. Posted notes. The result of a botched experiment in developing new adhesives. Plastic? Well, the guy who invented it was looking for a replacement for shellac. He only succeeded in making a mess that didn't have any apparent application until someone decided it could transform our everyday lives in a million different ways. Both these failures were exploited by entrepreneurs who understood that good ideas were everywhere. That's why I try to reply to the bulk of over 300 emails that flood my inbox daily. I reply not because I'm running to become the Prime Minister of India. I do so for three reasons. To lead from the front and establish an organizational culture that believes in reverts and courtesy. To stay aware, current and ahead of the competition. And to maintain constant contact with what's happening out there. You never know when a valuable idea will strike like lightning out of a clear sky. Keep yourself open to the thousand opportunities that present themselves to you daily. You're the person who takes the call and responds to the email. You're the leader who seeks nascent ideas you can tap into for your next onslaught or innovation. Collapse distances internally and externally through effective communication. When running a mid-size or large organization, you can't be all things to all people. Great leaders will never be the most popular people in the office. But you need to be inclusive and set a culture of openness in communication from day one. The more deeply embedded this culture is, the larger and stronger the company grows. The larger the company grows, the more embedded this habit becomes. It's a positive, self-perpetuating cycle. What should your daily communication goals be? To begin with, befriend, get close to, earn respect from and inspire. 
But the true heartbeat of communication comes down to a word often used but seldom understood. Charm. Most people think of a charmer as an outrageous flirt, a dashing character who could give Shah Rukh Khan a run for his money, or the cool lad with a great sense of humor. By the way, Shah Rukh Khan, besides being a charmer, is one of the smartest people I know and a true entrepreneur. Charm for me is the ability to persuade with your tone, your willingness to be inclusive in your engagement with everyone in the room or on the call, and your knack for being clear and articulate with your message. Disarm your audience by always listening keenly to everyone's view and sprinkling some humor into even the most serious situations. But I don't have the gift of the gab, you lament. Does that mean the entrepreneurial or professional life is off limits for me? Of course not. Maybe you're not a natural orator, or perhaps your confidence level isn't as high as you want it to be. My advice then is to hold on to those subjects about which you feel confident. If you're assured in your knowledge, that's half the battle won. Now all you need is a communicative vehicle to deliver that knowledge, maybe a razor-sharp, well-crafted email. The point is, you don't need to enroll in an elocution class or become a world-class communicator. Rather, you need to utilize the mode of communication that allows you to showcase your strongest skill set. For me, this has always been straight talk, eye contact, and brief, punchy sentences. If you can't get to the point in short order, chances are no one will stick around long enough to get your point, no matter how important or relevant it is. Of all the roles in theatre I have ever immersed myself in, the lead in Mark Medoff's Children of a Lesser God was the most challenging and taught me lessons in communication that I draw on every day. The play is a demanding two-and-a-half-hour soliloquy during which the teacher, James Leeds, and the hearing and speech-impaired student with whom he has a romantic relationship, Sarah Norman, communicate through sign language. Leeds speaks to his student and then translates her response from sign language to English for the audience. If I sat down with a hearing or speech-impaired person today, I'd still be able to communicate with her. Since I read Sarah's response for the audience, I had to say her lines in one tone of voice and then my lines in another. Except for a couple of other characters who popped in and out, the two of us were alone on the stage, exposed. My job was to take the audience on an emotional roller coaster ride using nothing more than words, the purest act of communication. Children of a Lesser God taught me sensitivity in communication at a point in my life when it was important and necessary for me to understand how to connect with people. It also taught me focus. To prepare for my most difficult role, I used to sit quietly for an hour backstage before going on, knowing the part demanded and deserved a level of preparation remarkable even for theatre. Great memories indeed. I think back on all my roles warmly, with some nostalgia. My mom and dad watched me perform often, and I always appreciated their support. Even now, 40 years later, mom admits she has only one regret for me. Now that you've done all this, why don't you go back to theatre, she asks. I wish you had never left. She is wistful in tone and speech, the way only mothers can be. She's proud of what I've accomplished, but she remembers my early days as fondly as I do. I don't have time, I tell her, and I suppose that's true. 
Maybe I don't make time would be more accurate. That's my decision, at least for now. I do know one thing. I'd never give up those experiences on stage or the lessons that theatre taught me. Effective communication is about getting things done under any circumstance. I look back on the first deal of a mature nature I ever closed and think about my early training in theatre. A few weeks after Murdoch's first visit to India and to our office, I got a call from his team in London. We want to take our discussion forward, one of his senior colleagues told me. If you're interested, let's meet at the B-Sky B office at any time next week. Naive, I flew there alone, expecting little more than to collect information on what NewsCorp had in mind. When I landed at 8am on the appointed day, I was met by a seven-person team that included the head of B-Sky B, the strategy team, two lawyers and two investment bankers. I thought I was there to have a broad conversation. They were ready to propose a deal and close it that day. Where's your team? One of them asked, offering me coffee. Your lawyer, your banker? And they began spelling out their proposal. Murdoch's group had shortlisted us as their content partner in India. They wanted a significant minority stake with no operational say in the business, had no concerns about us working with their potential competitors, and overall wanted to look at this as a strong arm's-length alliance one they'd build on as their India strategy strengthened in the years to come. I didn't bring anyone. Okay, what do you want to do? They clearly didn't think much would happen, but they weren't opposed to talking. Three things flashed through my mind. One, this was a strong quorum from their side and not likely to assemble again if I hemmed and hawed. Two, if we finish the day with no conclusions, they might feel free to explore other options. And three, Given their clarity and urgency, the team would have the mandate to report to Murdoch by the end of the day with a firm yes or no. The way I saw it, I had to proceed with what I felt comfortable doing. It made sense for me to move forward alone. Uh, I'm good, let's go, I said. They were surprised that I was all in, but we negotiated through the day and hammered out a couple of details. By 4pm, their lawyers had punched out a heads of agreement on everything we discussed. Four hours later, I stepped out to make some phone calls back home to colleagues and my lawyer, whom I had put on standby during the day, while the NewsCorp team faxed the printout, mails were not so frequently used then, to Murdoch for his final approval. I was surprised that with everything going on with the company worldwide, Murdoch still wanted to read a document for a relatively small deal and alliance in India. Another mark of a true entrepreneur. I was parting with less than half the company. I had never had an investor or partner until then. And here I was at the end of a 12-hour day, hurtling towards a career and life-changing decision. No doubt the News Corp team was balanced and fair, but I was especially pleased that despite being unprepared, I was holding my own against a group of distinguished, experienced professionals. I knew I had to be comfortable with the terms. That was key. As for negotiations, the process was akin to standing in an auditorium full of people with all eyes drilling into you. Being thrown alone into a pressure cooker makes you confident and sharp overnight. When we were done in the conference room, I went back to my hotel and called Zarina, whom I later married. We congratulated one another. Never one for elaborate celebrations, I treated myself to a long walk instead. Walks are therapeutic for me. 
The longer the walk, undisturbed and without agenda or route, the more my mind flickers and sparks. It was a cold night in London. I strolled around Soho, its streets dotted with bright lights, reliving the day and feeling pretty good about things. A lot had happened. For the first time in my working life, I was bringing in a partner. And a Goliath at that. Life would never be the same. Suddenly, I found myself face to face with two of the biggest blokes I'd ever seen. Before I knew, I was being mugged. It was over. I never wear a watch or carry a wallet, so they took what little was in my pockets and vanished into the night. As soon as I got back to the hotel, irritated but unscathed, I called Zarina and told her my story. Once she knew I was okay, her answer was perfect. You got something today and you gave some back. Good karma. Great communicator, my Zarina. Chapter Summary Communication is a vital ingredient in the recipe for success. It establishes a transparent, open, frank, non-political, non-hierarchical culture and organization. Respect each other's time by being fully present. Multitaskers, far from being focused, run the risk of letting their attention get split. Stay up to date with events outside your daily sphere by being open to and responding to others. You never know what opportunity will arise from the least likely of sources. Good ideas are everywhere. You can hold your own in any discussion or negotiation as long as you are clear about your goals and are comfortable with the outcome. If you can't live with the outcome, no matter how desperate you are to make the deal work, walk away.